yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Land Rover. Whether you're headed to a match or a weekend away, there's plenty of space for your team and their gear in the new Discovery Sport. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast in association with Land Rover. I'm Will Slattery and I'm delighted to be joined in studio, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, how are you? I'm very good, uh, very good. A good win for Ireland at the weekend. Probably a bit more positive, I think, the chat will be over the course of the show. I'm delighted to say a little later on we'll be joined by Reese Rurick, a man who's probably very disappointed, I guess, that he hasn't been involved the first couple of weeks. But for the moment, we're joined on the line by Irish Independent Rugby correspondent Rory O'Connor. Rory, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, lads. And on your day off, no less, the indefatigable Rory O'Connor, who I, I begged and <laughs> I begged and pleaded with to, to join us, and he obliged, thankfully. Uh, well, Rory, obviously, very interesting a uh, couple of weeks now for the Irish team, two wins out of two, twicking them up next to kind of the place where, you know, it kind of became apparent in 2019 that things were very much coming off the rails. Now they go there in a completely different mindset. But are they are they legitimate championship contenders, do you think? Or have they maybe been beneficiaries of, you know, a good start with two home games? Where How far along do you think they are compared, compared to what we saw in 2019? Um, That's a good question. I mean, yeah, they are legitimate championship contenders because in reality there's only three or four teams come in this tournament and Ireland are, are you know in this area Ireland are always one of them I mean like these players didn't become bad players last year they just stopped playing well and they have won it you know a lot of them have won it three times even more of them have won a grand slam with in, in very recent memory so yeah of course like, I mean they were world number one last year they, they, they beat the All Blacks twice you know I mean th- these feats were this the reason everyone was so disappointed was 2019 was because of the standards that they set themselves. So, of course, they are. You know, they, that was always the, the frustration was that they were playing below themselves. That you know, they they were a good team playing badly rather than a team that had, that had gone off the rails. So, um, like for, I, I don't see France doing a Grand Slam. I think you know, Ireland might may struggle to win in Twickenham. You know, I think that's that it's going to be a, it's another step up and it's another test of where this team is at. But I think there's going to be three or four teams, probably four teams, going for the title in the final weekend. Ireland play France last, you know, it'd be a tough game, but I think they'll still be in the hunt and there'll be a bit of bonus point stuff going on, a bit of points difference. Um, 
So yeah, I know. I think you. I think they are realistic contenders for the throne. Yeah, it's been set up really interestingly. Like no matter what, as Rory says, when we get to the final weekend, Ireland should still be in the shakeup, which will be really exciting. Uh, and in terms of the development of the team, obviously we sat here last week, and you know we were a little downbeat uh, assessing the opening win over Scotland. You know there was definitely room for improvement. They got that improvement against Wales, mm. um, but there, I guess you know if you look back to 2019, there were some false dawns when it looked like the team was getting back on track. Albeit this time the kind of maybe the, the slightly more expansive nature of the victory you know they did get the ball wide quite a bit mm-hmm. you know there was, there was a few more offloads than you ordinarily see it does appear that maybe this time around we could maybe have a little more faith that the team is trending upwards yeah well like I think it is probably one performance I thought Wales were um, a little under par I thought the Larmer tried particularly I mean if I was a centre and I let him through like that <laughs> I mean, that was, that was embarrassing. Yeah. It was an embarrassing attempt at a tackle. Like, um, you know, you just uh, an international player. The quality of Larmer, Nick like, Turnstile. Uh, yeah, Turnstile. Exactly. It was. It was really poor. I thought that the uh, Hadley Parks try. You know, it was a difficult. It was. It was a long stretch, but you should probably still finish that one as well. Um, and Wales actually played. They played some good stuff going forward. Actually, at times I thought. And Ireland rolled their look a little bit. Phenomenal. A phenomenal yeah. bit of play. Yeah. Um, and they had a few nice touches here and there. But look, Ireland had the majority of the game. Uh, I thought physically they looked a little bit sharper. Uh, I thought um, there was lots of improvement. I really liked some of the small changes. And it is amazing how a few small changes can make the difference. One of them that particularly stood out to me was the kicking from in the outside channels. I talked about that last week because um, I think that's something that the, like the kicking strategy with Ireland has become very, very predictable. That's something that, if you do it well, is very, very effective. And they've shown they've got good guys out there. Like even the guys who'd come into the team, say like Keith Earls, he's a lovely kicker of the football out wide as well. Um, and that's something that sounds negative, but it actually can be a really good way of putting pressure on teams because it can be hard to break them down for long periods of time. And I'm a big believer, I think, that it actually takes more out of you, you kind of physically attacking and getting into shape for attack than it does defensively. There's more thought required, um, and I think you have to work a little bit harder to do it because no matter what, you have to kind of over-resource the rook. You have to do it well. Like, if you do it well in attack, you know, you'll only have two guys in there, but often it's hard to get those numbers right. So you often have to over-resource versus a defender can say, oh, that one's lost and move out and get in position. So they're kind of tiring things. And I feel like attacking kicks, which Ireland did very well in the weekend, are a great way of taking pressure off and keeping the pressure on the the, the other team. And they did that really well. That was something I thought was very good. Um, and I thought some of the ball carrying from the forwards, it was great to see Ty Furlong. I thought he had a big game. And that was great to see because he was a huge part of what made Ireland so good. It's like having an extra ball player on the pitch or an extra forward who was like very dynamic in the in, in the in an attacking sense on the pitch. Your tight prop is usually there just to hang on to the scrum, you know, make sure you don't get pinged all day there and provide, you know, a good lift in the lineups. And the rest of you're saying, Jesus, just don't be a liability in defence. But he was always a great addition. He was brilliant, I thought. Um I thought Andrew Conway was excellent. Uh, I thought Conor Murray looked good. Um, you know, a lot sharper, got the ball away, wasn't hovering over too long. Um and all those things combined, I think, to make Ireland uh, look very, very good on the day. Um, the key part, as you say, is that can they? I can't. I don't think we can say this trending upwards. I think we can just say, well, this is this is a great starting point for them to possibly trend upwards. And there's loads of things that they can keep delivering on that maybe we could see a return to the form um, of 2019. Yeah, and Rory, obviously, Luke. Oh, man- sorry, 2018. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah don't sorry, it's 2019. <laughs> uh, Rory, Luke mentioned a couple of things there that were improvements, um, and then just from watching the game, it did look like Ireland were 
trying to play a little more expansively? Like, is that just my eyes deceiving me based on a couple of moments, or, or do you think that there was kind of signs of, of that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, even Justin Timbrick, I read some com- comments from him. He was surprised by how wide Ireland played, and, our, and Wales got caught caught a bit narrow. I think that was one of the big criticisms in the Welsh media about the Welsh performance that they didn't they didn't anticipate what Ireland were going to do, and they got caught narrow. I think when you've got a back three like. Ireland have at the moment it's mad it'd be mad not to give them the ball and there was definitely license to push passes that maybe in previous I think you know I think the license may have already been always been there but I think there's more confidence and maybe less stress about what, what might come up in the video review so when Keith Earls gets that that ball he, he instantly flicks it on he's not thinking because if you think in that scenario you're gone because that you know he would have been nailed in a tackle so I think there, there definitely is an emphasis on moving the ball to width you've also got a you know I don't think Jordan Armour is passing the ball a lot, but he's definitely countering every time he gets the ball. I think the next phase of their development when it comes to counter-attack will be to start linking between the back three. But that wasn't something Ireland have done for the last couple of years. So I think, you know, when it, when it comes to looking a bit wider and, you know, giving the sense that you're a bit more exciting in attack, it didn't actually, wasn't ever going to take that much. It was a couple of subtle tweaks um, and a bit of a, a change in shape. And it's definitely, you know, it, it's been... It's come to fruition early in the regime. Now, you know, Luke's kind of pointed out a couple of the Welsh deficiencies. England at home, you would imagine, will win a lot more collisions and, and, and will put Ireland under a lot more pressure in terms of line speed. So it's going to be interesting to see whether they can continue to do that um, or whether Farrell has another plan for that. But yeah, like it's, it, these are baby steps. It's, it's a start. The two games that Ireland would traditionally expect to have won. So basically, he's, he's, he's given himself breathing space by kind of, you know, if we presume that they beat Italy in round three, He's he's won the game. He's going to win. He's basically reached the minimum acceptable standard, and anything from here is a bit of a is a bit of a bonus because I think you know Twickenham and Paris are two tough places to go quickly this season. So he's given himself breathing space to you know that 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 the pressure has kind of come off that his selections won't be questioned as much, and the players are you know on the back of two wins in a row against good opposition um, are a bit more confident as well, and, and they're starting to feel good about themselves. So you know, Luke's right. You, you can't get too excited about these things. You can't get too carried away by it. But at the same time, having been pretty critical over the last year, you have got to praise them when they play well. Yeah, Luke. And one thing that Rory said there that I want uh, maybe you, you could expand on was the, the linking between the back three because that did seem to be maybe one element of the of of it that wasn't quite joined up yet. There was once or twice where Stockdale maybe could have been released, and he either his depth wasn't kind of right or the pass wasn't great from Lammer. Uh, that's something that that could, that if they got right, there was an opportunity there that they didn't really take. Yeah, like I still think that there's a scope for Larmer to grow his game. He's still young in the position, I think. Um, he has all the abilities to do that. I think the realisation would have to come from him that linking with great players like Stockdale going forward, I mean, I don't, like I haven't seen too many guys that are that much better than him in world rugby going forward when he's in open space. That one that you're thinking about, uh, I think we presume it's second half, the mm. one where he kind of got checked. Yeah, It wasn't a great pass and he was very flat, but he should have got the ball a half a second earlier and his depth was perfect if that yeah. was the case. Um, and he'll get the ball back from those guys. He's an excellent chipper of the ball. We've seen him use that all the time. He chips the ball back in field. So if Larmer like, releases that one, he could potentially get the ball back if he continues on that, you know, continues his run on. And also remember, if you pass that before contact, you don't have to fix the guy straight away. If you pass it before contact, he can't take you out and tackle you. You can get back involved in the game and he's got to turn around. It's something that young back three players I see a lot 
um, from them that they don't actually release the ball early enough it's okay to release the ball remember you're alive and the guy who's defending you has to turn around and run and catch it um, so it's okay to pass it even slightly you know, just a slight bit earlier make sure you don't check the guy make sure um, Stockdale or uh, Conway or Earls are getting that in stride and attacking at full pace it's okay if you're not fixing the guy you don't always have to fix him you know I see lots of forwards making that mistake as well um, it's amazing what happens when you pass the ball early enough um, and actually just you, you remain in a support position and it actually brings that kicking uh, that you know those grubbers and all that kind of stuff into play because you're all chasing and you're all still on your feet and they got to turn around so it opens up all those options and it does give those guys a bit more space to, ta to attack people and I think once we've figured that out once we can get the ball and it's my complaint Will you heard me say this loads of I'm sure Rudds has as well it's the playmaking outside of Johnny Sexton it's can Ireland find that person who's going to be the link man to open up the pitch run. If you can get the ball to your wingers, it adds another 10 metres onto the pitch. Do you know what I mean? So all of a sudden, it's all open to you. They have to defend everything. They have to make a decision to come earlier to try and close it down, which means you can go over the top or you can use the crossfield kick. Um, but it also will open up more one-on-one -on -one opportunities for Larmer. And we can see what he can do when he's in those positions one-on-one. -on -one. He is so dangerous. And the only way I think he ever really you know maximises his potential is by actually figuring out how to get the ball to his wingers I think it'll get him opportunities as well off the you know he'll get the ball back a few more times but I also think it opens him up for one-on-one -on -one opportunities and that's the bit of growth in his game I think that'll take him to be a world-class player because I think that's his potential mm. I really do um, and it was great to see him get a run um, and, and play so well he'll have huge confidence I think going into the games but that's the growth in the game and I think that's the growth in the game for, for Gary Ringrose that I've been talking about for, for a couple of years now as well Is I think th those two guys have the potential to be absolutely world class but they have to bring the guys outside them into the game mm. Yeah and Rory one other aspect of, of the performance that's gotten a lot of attention I guess was Johnny Sexton in the captaincy role and I guess in real time it looked like he was having you know some pretty fiery exchanges with Rowan Potter or maybe exchanges that they didn't seem to be on the best of terms subsequently I guess a lot of people have focused in on him in the second half when he was inquiring with the breakdown that it was a good example of, of a player or a captain you know dealing with the referee like what have you what did you make of his display in that regard at the weekend and over the first two weekends? Yeah, I mean, these things are, are, are interesting. I mean, like, there was no major calls. Like, it, was, it wasn't a tight game, so it wasn't as if Johnny's, you know, decision-making really came into question. And he, you know, he, he probably turned down points relatively early in the game. You know, these are the things that, you know, when we review games, that you kind of, if they're tight, they come into contention. If Ireland are winning by, you know, but, but then you know it was a fourteen-point win. It should be a bit more. You know, or uh, they, they, you know, it, it would have been. If sorry, it's a tighter game. These things are are, are much heavier scrutinised. When you're winning, these things always look good. Like I think Johnny Sexton improved his communication with referees. He's come probably from a bad starting point, considering. You know, I think he's getting a lot. You know, while he's getting praise over this side of the, the IRC, there's been a lot of stick in the English media for the way he's uh, constantly in the rears, the way he gesticulates. Um, so it rubs people, some people, the wrong way. But I think he's made a pretty good start, a very good start to his captaincy. You know, I've not, I, I would have um, favoured James Ryan for the captaincy more on age terms. I think you know Johnny Sexton is the right captain in the wrong World Cup cycle, but. Um, you know, I think he's he's a good captain. He's a leader by example. You can see the players believe in him, and I think he relishes being out in front of the team in the media side of things as well. I think he, he likes being the, the, the spokesperson for the team and the you know in the week of games and after games, and he's very very good at that as well. So I think he's made a really good start, and then you can see that the players you know really you know, like it's no it's no great um, surprise that the players you know still have huge respect for him, and I think he has responded to being back with Andy Farrell 
by performing very well, despite the fact that he's such little game time under his belt. I think he's always done that though, Rhodes, hasn't he? Like, I, I would say one thing yeah. about it. Like, I did think Will makes a good point about that first exchange in the first half, particularly around the try. Uh, that concerns me a little bit. Uh, I think there's room to grow. I think, like the team, Johnny has only just got the captaincy. So, I think he, you know, we need to, he, well, I hope he's not reading all the press because I thought he kind of got that one wrong. And I think that's the little bit of growth. But I think he's only just starting in the role. So, we have to give him time. No matter how experienced he is, that he's for me, captained a good bit of, for like Leinster as well. Uh, sporadically enough, I think this is a bigger stage. It's more pressure. Um, the stakes are higher, um, and you're more scrutinised. I think that's absolutely, you know, I could say that unequivocally. I think, and uh, I think you could, yeah, I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if you argue me on that one. There's more pressure, <laughs> uh, I think, yeah. and it is harder to influence the referees at this stage. I think they're better, and I think what becomes more important is the. Uh, the relationship with them, how you manage it, how you feel out the different scenarios. And that, to me, was a scenario where they looked at it again. I understood once he asked again to make sure, are you checking the right pass? But he did it a few times, and that was done. To me, that that didn't help the case. I thought it just, you know, you need to retreat at that stage and, and, and make sure that you don't damage the relationship. Because there'll be other times in the game where, like in the second half, I thought he managed that beautifully. Um, and he got way better and, and grew into it. And, and was the relationship was, was good at that point. But, he that one for me. You need to have your finger on the pulse, and I thought most great captains will kind of draw back at that stage and say, "Look, I'm not going to annoy him. He's made his decision on this. They're not going to look back. I've made it. It's on the record. Me questioning it. To me, that's as far as I can go with it at this point. Doesn't benefit me getting further into that. I think he'll get better at that. I hope he doesn't read the paper. I hope he looks at those interactions and says, "How can I get better in that?" Because that's going to be an important role for him, particularly because he has to manage this, I suppose, view around him that he is combative with the referees, and that that's something that he has to work on. Referees will know that, um, so I think that's something that he could look at again and say, mm, "Did I manage that as best I could?" My suggestion on that one is no. I thought the second half was a better, um, I think, template for him going forward. Yeah, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on how he interacts at, at Twickenham anyway. Uh, Rory, what, what did you make of the back row? Obviously, it, it had a good day out. And then with a view to later on in the championship, you know, you have CJ Stander, who's been playing uh, number eight since Caelan Doris went down after five minutes. You know, Peter O'Mahony, who's been at six. And now Doris was retained in that uh, in Ireland's training camp this week. Max Deegan was sent back to Lancer, which shows that Doris is maybe ahead of him in the pecking order. Uh, do you expect Stander and O'Mahony to, to hold on there after, you know, playing the bulk of the first two weeks? I think that's the only selection question going in, going into next week, and I don't know the answer. Um, I think Omani played very well. I thought he looked way more physically at it than he has done for a, quite a while. I thought he was winning winning collisions. He was winning physical battles against players that he maybe hasn't even. He was carrying higher. He wasn't kind of doing that thing where he goes almost to, he almost goes to deck before the tackle comes in and gets the ball back quickly, but hasn't really made any gains. I thought he was put, throwing his body around a little bit more than, than he has done for some time. Um, you know, he's winning turnovers. He's winning lineouts against the head. It's going to be very hard to leave him out because I think Stander, you know, whether it's six or eight, is in the team. He's, you know, one of the players of the championship so far. So um, I think that for Ireland to move their game on, I think Doris comes into the team whether it's this week or beyond, I think Doris is the long-term number eight. He's a better, he's a more all-round footballer than CJ Stander. And I think in a tighter game against England, I, I think having a, a ball-playing number eight rather than, than a, a guy who will just relentlessly run into contact and win, you know, wins his fair share of collisions on both, on both sides of the ball and has become this unbelievable breakdown threat. But I think he can do all of those things with six and do them quite well. Whereas I think Doris is your thoroughbred number eight and I do, I do want to get him into the team. 
but I think it would be very harsh. It'd be, it's a really interesting test of where Andy Farrell is going with his selection, whether he's, um, you know, he, he's talked about picking guys on form um, and he's, he's stayed very, very faithful to the kind of the old soldiers who've, who've been there before and they've re- rewarded his faith with, with, with some big performances on the back of that. Um, but it, this one's going to be very interesting because he's clearly got, he's clearly a fan of Doris he wouldn't have thrown him in at Scotland. Um, unless he was, you know, the, the, uh, if he wasn't, so that's going to be a big call. Like I, I think maybe we'll see Doris come off the bench against England and then maybe start against Italy. Yeah, it's an interesting selection dilemma for Andy Farrell and on CJ Stander. I know you weren't that impressed with him in Week One, even though he did get man of the match. Mm. You know, two man of the matches in a row now. I don't know who's picking these things to be honest with you. Well, Alan Quinlan, Andy, isn't it? Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Queenie <laughs> looking after the back row, Munster lads. Um, no, look, I thought he was good. Um, there's no doubt in that. I thought the best player in the pitch was Andrew Conway. I thought he had some unbelievable touches. I thought he finished his try very well. I thought some of the regathers from the kicks were brilliant. I thought his kicking was excellent. His tackling was superb. Um, he was the player for me, um, uh, the best player on the pitch on the day. Uh, I thought Sander was good. I thought Peter Mahoney was excellent. I thought he was really good. He's a moments guy. Like I don't think Pete is going to be a guy like they're they're kind of different players. I think CJ would probably give you you know a lot of carries, a lot of you know you know he's very robust throughout the whole game. He's going to win a lot of collisions. Pete to me is a is a big game player. You know, um, look, he definitely wasn't the form guy on selection. I think uh, you would have picked one of the Leinster guys. I think at six if you were going to do that because uh, they were playing better than both him and CJ. To be honest, which uh, that was a surprising selection, but. I think after the performance on the weekend, I thought he was one of Ireland's best players. I thought he was brilliant. I thought some of the line-out steals, like he was, he's such a threat at the front of the line-out. Like they're big, big moments for a team. Um, and even those ones where he's kind of disrupting, where you have to, you know, make a throw to the middle or the back when you're, you know, if it's bad conditions or, or whatever it is. I just thought he was brilliant. I think he has to stay in the team. And I think that's a real dilemma that they have now between CJ who's playing very well who's got two man of the matches even though I, I just don't I just don't agree with that stuff I think that's I've always the amount of people on Twitter going oh just see who got man of the match I said I don't really care who got man of the match I know what I see on, on the rugby pitch I thought I thought Peter O'Mahony had a bigger impact on the game than CJ actually on the weekend I thought he was unbelievable um and I don't, I couldn't see a drop in him. Plus, he's a specialist six. I'd always have someone who's playing as a specialist in my team versus someone who's kind of a makeshift six, uh, no matter how well they're playing. Um, and Peter Mann, he's vastly, you know, he's a huge amount of experience, the same as CJ. So, um, if it comes down to a decision between Doris and uh, Stander, I think he'll go with Stander. I agree with Rudds there. I think that's what he'll do. Um, but if he does that, I would be picking, I wouldn't be dropping CJ over uh, Peter. Will be my decision. It'll be interesting, Andy. If I was picking it now, yeah. it was a week to think about it. Anyway, yeah, he does, and, yeah. and Rory, um, just on that squad, uh, that you know, the, the, you know, thirteen players released back to the provinces today. I think he's picked a twenty-three man uh, training camp panel for later in the week. Was there anything in that uh, announcement today that made that you thought was interesting, particularly, or gave an indication either to Andy Farrell's thinking or players who maybe aren't as you know far up the pecking order as you may have maybe thought? Um, and like I think, yeah, I I think we kind of can see the established hierarchy in the back row because I mean I think Deegan Deegan does have a little bit of a way to go before he gets ahead of Doris, even though he's been really really good for Leinster. At the same time, he gets a chance to impress against the Cheetahs this weekend. Keller, um, so he's kept only one hooker. He's he's released Ronan Keller and Dave Heffernan, but Keller needs games. He got you know he 
he needs a start because he hasn't played. I think I think if Keller had, hadn't got injured when he did, he could he could well be starting in these games. Albeit Rob Herring's played very well, um, particularly last weekend. Um, I think Addison's presence is very interesting. I don't know was it related to Robbie Henshaw's H, you know failed HIA, but. Um, you know, I think Addison has a lot to offer this Irish team. I think when when Luke talks about that second distributor, there's a player who could who could potentially fulfil that role, whether it's a thirteen or fifteen. But the problem the problem he has is he he's he had this trick this trouble this calf trouble. He always seems to pitch up to Ireland camp with, a, with some sort of an injury. It never seems to be important enough to include an injury bulletin. But then when it, when he's left out of the team, it always seems to come up that he's that he hasn't been able to train fully. And he can You know, I think Andy Farrell will be one of those coaches who prizes your ability to be able to pitch up a training and, and go through it. So it's probably a big week for him. But I can't see him. You know, with Ringrose out, I just don't see Henshaw. Um, you know, dropping out of the team unless he's got a more serious injury than we know about. And I don't see him messing with that back three. You know, Addison's probably the more all-round footballer than Larmer, but Larmer's the most dangerous attacker in the team along with Conway. So, and he's having a really, really good season. So Addison's obviously in their thoughts. Uh, he's been kept there for a reason. You know, he probably could have done with a game for Ulster as well, but they've decided to keep him down in Cork for that couple of days camp. But to be honest, the only change I could potentially see to the team is is that back row change. Maybe Addison is a better option than Earls at number you know at number twenty three. But then I thought Keith Earls did quite well at the weekend as well. So there may be an injury we don't know about. That's always the the, the, the thing with Ireland. Although this 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 regime is a bit more open about that sort of stuff. Hmm. Well, just the kind of the last thing I want to bring up with you guys before I let you go, Rory, is there was a report last week that South Africa are apparently being lined up to maybe join the Six Nations after the next World Cup. Uh, you know, surprising report, albeit it's kind of moving that way in terms of their clubs coming up to play in the Pro 14. If that was, like, is, do you think that would be a good idea? Do you think that's something worth exploring, Luke? Definitely, yeah. You know, um, I mean, the time difference thing is always a big advantage for them. It is a big trip down there, but I mean, I think they'd be an unbelievable addition to it, you know. I think it would freshen up the Six Nations a little bit. Um, you know, I think we probably end up... The problem for it is that, you know, with the Rugby Championship the way it is, like it really puts that under pressure. Like that model is creaking anyway. And uh, financially, they're really struggling, you know. So um, it makes sense for them to want to come up here. I think it, they're the only one that really makes... I think they also have a very big lift in terms of the time differences. Uh, as well um, so yeah look it'll be very interesting to watch that one play out whether or not it transpires the championship not. for the tradition of the yeah, history yeah so I just the, the like to me that you know it's young enough as well that, that I mean what is it is it 20 years old is this um, Six Nations uh, no not Six Nations sorry the well like obviously the Five Nations we've had forever you know what I mean I'm more thinking of, of, of in those respects I mean how old is, is this is um the Tri Nations, you know. I think it was started after the World Cup in '95, or do you know what I mean? So it was it 25 years. Yeah, it's not, right. you know, it's not, a, it's not around a huge amount of time. And the model, they're under pressure. Like Australia are really dying at death as well in terms of that. Like if they leave, you know, God, it would really hurt. It would really, really hurt the game down there. And like, what happens then? Do we end up coming back towards this kind of, you know, World Rugby League or whatever it is? Do we do something like that? I, think um, that was, I don't. Yeah. But yeah, but I'm not sure the Six Nations teams would want to accom accommodate that. I mean, they're all doing very well financially. Uh, the game isn't dying up here. It's dying down there. Um, so it's no surprise that one of the teams wants to join. And South Africa is the best fit for that. So, um, yeah, look, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I mean, at this point... Um, like I'd love to see another team in there but where do they fit into the schedule which is probably already overcrowded as it is yeah. up here like rugby's not like soccer you can't just play you know 40-50 games a year you can't do it mm. you know people will just creak and, and break so um, you know how they fit that and how they manage that I mean look Italy at this point 
you know, they just haven't really moved on. Now, like, do we see some green shoots in their club game? Yes, we do. But it just hasn't really been reflected in performances in the Six Nation and how much value do they add? They end up being like, you know, even in the in the uh, the Heineken Cup, like, you know, if, if you have an Italian team in your in your group, you know, you're more you're expected that two teams would go through from that group, you know. So how how much longer do we accommodate them? How much longer can we actually, you know, do we actually try and swap them in with, with South Africa? Do we end up putting them in with, in a competition with Georgia or something like that? And the winner comes into the six, you know, a seven nations, if it, if, you, if you like. I don't know. There's loads of permutation on, per, permutations on this. And I think the six nations teams will probably say, do we need to change? Yeah. Rory, just two questions, I guess. How likely do you think this is? I know, I think it was an interesting report in the mail from I think Chris Foy and Matt Hughes, who are usually, you know, pr- pretty good with, with this kind of stuff. And yeah. like, do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it's it's a good idea for international rugby? Um, well, I think we're we're witnessing a realignment of the game from north south to east west, and I think South Africa fit into the 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 we the kind of eastern hemisphere of, of that. So I think there will be a realignment, and I think whether people think it's a good idea or, or a bad idea. I think that's the way things are going, and particularly with. And uh, you know, Luke's mentioned the schedule, CBC Capital, this uh, hedge fund, private investment, uh, private equity fund. Sorry, have bought into the Premiership, the Pro 14, and the, and they're about to buy into the Six Nations if it gets the green light. And if they're in charge of all three of those competitions, they'll have a big influence in how Europe is run as well. So they can do what they like with the schedule. So I think all of the traditions and things we expect around rugby. Um, are up for grabs in the next couple of years. I think you know the, the fact that they're bundling all the TV rights together means that we're probably going to go off free there in the next couple of years, which is another big risk that I don't think people have quite appreciated yet. So I think there's a lot on the table. So, I mean, from a tournament point of view, I think you'd lose the tradition. I, I, I love the Six Nations. I love the traditions around it. I love seeing Welsh and Irish people getting together over the weekend and the annual you know, pilgrimage that, that people make. But in the cold, hard reality of... of um, of international sport and professional sport, you know how how um, kind of viable is that in, in the long term that you have six countries, four, three of whom are, are pretty small markets, competing against each other in the same thing every year. And it, while it is very successful, money begets money. If you can go into a new market and and spread the spread the spread the the, the load and, and the, the you know widen the TV deal by bringing in South Africa. They're going to want to do that, so I think this, like by, there was a reason two South African teams came into the Pro 14 a couple of years ago. It wasn't just for the sake of the Cheetahs and the, the the Southern Kings. It was almost like a test case to see how this would go. It was a kind of a move towards realigning South Africa in the, you know with the Northern Hemisphere teams. I think that's the direction of travel. I don't know. I mean, I see there's been kind of you know reports refuting the sorry, but you know there's been people refuting those those reports. But I would say there's no smoke without fire on this one. And I think we're moved. That's the direction we're moving in. It might take a couple more years to get there. But I think rugby as we know it in 2020 will look very, very different than 2030. Uh, I think we're in for a massive decade of change and all of these sort of things. Like we're going to see the kind of New Zealand, South Africa, sorry, New Zealand, Australia move more towards, you know, the West Coast of the States and Japan you know, Pacific Islands, that's the kind of direction that they'll be realigned with. That's a much better, easier TV sell because it's all in one time zone. So I think there's a lot of play, a lot of moving parts going on. And at the end of a very long winning answer, I think, I don't know if it's a good idea, to be honest. I like what I like what we have, 
but I completely understand that the game has to move on and develop and grow and, and that it needs money to do that. Yeah, like and South Africa as well, like they can't just have all their players back for a World Cup, so you know, for a World Cup year. Like I think the game there, if you look at it, like they, they have so many players playing in Europe, you know, I think that'd probably bring back into balance yeah. a little bit um and probably create another rugby powerhouse, not just for a World Cup year. But for the four years, you know, within, because there's so much rugby to be played. And, like, it's hard to, I think, gather a kind of sticky audience, if you like, of people who are going to stay watching the game consistently with you all the time. If the, the normal day-to-day rugby stuff isn't good, you know, you want to have a good provincial setup like Ireland. Like Ireland have a lot of people watching rugby all the time because the provinces are playing well and the setup is good. England and France, very similar. Wales are struggling a little bit, but seem to keep getting it, um, you know, for, for the national team. But there's lots of people watching rugby there regularly in, in Wales, I think, even if it's not, you know, one of the, the provincial sides uh, or, um, but South Africa are really struggling there they are really struggling and they shouldn't be because they have so much quality and if the quality was back you'd have to think you'd get a crowd in there regularly and they should be able to do that so there is an argument there to say well we can't just have South Africa there once every four years as a real power where everyone's playing there mm. you know what I mean so yeah. this could be a way of maybe rebalancing that and bringing a bit of money back into the game there whereby those clubs could compete on a regular basis yeah well trips to Joburg would certainly be interesting every not second not Joburg <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, maybe not. and uh, yeah that was definitely with CVC involved now potentially in the success there'll yeah. definitely be some, some changes over the over the coming years Rory thanks so much for making so much time on your day off for us cheers really Rose thanks a million really appreciate no it worries. cheers lads thanks, thanks Rory bye bye well we're delighted to be joined on the line now by Reese Ruddock Reese, thanks so much for joining us hi guys yeah not at all no worries our second Ruds of the night we had uh, Rory O'Connor on us as well so I'll have to dis- <laughs> I have to distinguish you some way I'm going to call you I'll call you the Rudser for the for the rest of the well, show you just call him Scrudsy I think <laughs> when you rang up there so I don't, I don't know no one else will get that no. <laughs> Rudz listen no. thanks a million for, for coming on and, and making the time I know you guys are uh, probably uh, well I suppose you're back into the thick of it now are you? yeah no it's been good um, obviously had a little bit of time off with the three weeks with no games so a little bit of time off to rest and recover. And then uh, we got back into training last week. Um, but it's nice to have a game on the weekend to focus on now. And uh, things have kind of ramped up a bit ready for that on the weekend. So everyone's excited. Were you enjoying the nice weather yesterday, were you? Yeah, no, it was definitely uh, <laughs> one of the highlights of my career going out into the hailstorm the last few days. And, uh, I know you love that stuff, man. You're made for that. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. The ears aren't liking it and all the bumps and that, so... Fair enough. Yeah, yeah I shouldn't have shaved my head. It's a bit cold. I don't think you've got a choice shaving the, the head, man. I'm I'm, cl- uh, yeah, I'm closely following behind you as well. <laughs> but yeah, looking forward. It's a, it's an unfortunate. Uh, it's unfortunately what happens when we get older. It's the exactly. it's a, you know it's a crying shame. Yeah, <laughs> my blonde locks long gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Reese. What's the last couple of weeks been like for you? Obviously, I'm sure you're right. It's probably not to be involved in the Six Nations, especially you're probably playing as good rugby this season as you've had you know throughout your career. So, how have you found the last couple of weeks? I guess, as you said, you've had three weeks throughout the game, which I guess you're probably crying out for rugby at the moment, given how well you've been playing. Well, yeah, like obviously, um, hugely disappointed not to be involved. Um, especially you know this time of year, Six Nations, you're always like buzzing, hoping that. You'll uh, make the squad and get an opportunity. Um, and then um, I suppose there was such excitement as well with, you know, new coaches coming in and um, had a little bit of time together in December. And I was just, you know, really hoping to put my hand up and uh, be involved. So, um, yeah, it was definitely uh, a really disappointing uh, period. And, um, yeah, I was kind of a bit down about that. But at the same time, I kind of uh, spoke to Faz and had a good conversation with him and got a bit of direction and, um, I kind of felt, although I'd been playing fairly well, I still felt like um, I wasn't playing my best rugby and 
uh, a few areas in particular that I was really excited about um, the opportunity to get a lot better and we kind of uh, agreed that that would be um, something that would put me in a better space to, to work my way into the squad in the future so uh, just having that clarity was good and I suppose I found out the week of the Treviso game and I uh, was coming off the bench there and I suppose that was my first opportunity to um, start that process and put a few things right and I felt like I did okay then and uh, it's just unfortunate that we've had a, a three-week break to to not be able to take it a step further. So that's why I think myself and a load of other lads are looking forward to the opportunity to get back on the pitch. You know, it's been a long time and uh, as a group and then the individuals who have some disappointment as well will be looking forward to trying to yeah improve and put it, put the right foot forward uh, this weekend. And Reese, it's uh, you mentioned kind of the the December camp, I suppose that you were involved in. Um, talk to us a little bit about the the new setup. We're all kind of trying to figure out, uh, you know, when we're watching the games, you know, what kind of team are Ireland going to be? Are they going to change much? Um, you know, what was your sense of it? I know you're, you're obviously you're only in for a few days, but what was your sense of it in there? Is there kind of excitement around uh, what the guys are trying to build? Yeah, like it was only a day and a half, and because we were, you know, it was a game week for the province, we didn't do a huge amount on the field, but. Um, yeah, definitely there was a load of excitement and I think, um, you know, there was some new ideas and obviously you got new coaches and then people in different roles as well. So there was a lot of new ideas brought to the table and I think whenever that happens in the squad, um, you know, people get excited about it and it's a new challenge. You know, you, you're expected to do things slightly differently. You're ex expected to, um, I suppose, perform slightly different skills and in a slightly different way and uh, that type of challenge, we only had a day to, to do it in training, but I'm sure the guys who are in the squad at the moment, they're being challenged all the time and encouraged to uh, develop those things and improve. And it looks like from the game so far that, um, you know, everyone's buying in and they're challenging each other and um, they've got two good results on the back of it. And from the little bit you were around the team, uh, like was was Andy Farrell kind of different to what he was when he was an assistant coach? I don't know if it's if it's kind of easy to tell that kind of thing in terms of. I know it's just a new job title, and I'm sure a lot of it was quite similar to what he might have been. He obviously would have been talking more because he's the head coach. But did he like was he carrying himself differently? I don't know. Did he have, did he have like a different aura being the head coach this time around? Um. Not really. I suppose you know he's uh, the the main man picking the team, so that might carry a little bit of a different aura, um, more more in terms of the perception that we have. But um, in fairness to Faz, like even when he when he wasn't the head coach, he always had a real aura and uh, like kind of an intensity when he spoke. And um, I suppose that was no different when he stood up at the front of the room as the head coach. Um, he still had that, and um, I suppose you want to go out and play for someone like that who can. Um, yeah, just have that kind of aura and um, motivates the players the way he does. So it's good. And Reese, talk to us a little. Uh, this is kind of a little bit off topic, but uh, Big Mike headed over to the Ospreys. They're obviously in a little bit of trouble at the moment. Uh, have you talked to him much? I've been talking to him here and there, but uh, how's he getting on with the challenge over there? Uh, tough enough, I think. I, I would, I would surmise from uh, from what I was chatting to him. Yeah, it was actually I was actually just on the phone to him there. I hadn't caught up with him in a while, um, in a, like a week or so properly. So he actually, I told him I was going to be speaking to you. He told me to pass on his best wishes <laughs> to you, Lukey. So um, no, he's, he's in good form. Um, obviously, yeah, like it is a big challenge, and mm. um, they've having a, a very difficult season at the moment. But mm. I think I don't know for him to get an opportunity to go into 
you know, a team like the Ospreys, um, you know, as, as well, like it's, they've gone back and the, my parents are living in the same house that we would have lived in when we were younger. Oh, really? Oh. Uh, and my dad obviously would have played for Swansea and coached Swansea. So a lot of big connections to the area and uh, Swansea Rugby Club, which is now part of the Ospreys, obviously. So, um, you know, it's, it's a really good opportunity for him and like as a family we're really proud and excited for him yeah but, I mean um, it's a chance to make a big difference isn't it from a place that's really like I mean the Ospreys has been well bar, bar the Scarlets really but it's been the, the real shining light or had been the real shining light in, in Welsh rugby now I know there's challenges with mm. you know the different provincial kind of set up in Wales and people kind of being maybe not exactly drawn to the new club there was big rivalry before they set up the, the, the club um, between kind of both factions and then obviously there's big clubs around that still get huge support week in week out um, but I mean, there's a chance to make a big impact there. He must be excited about that. Yeah, and from speaking to him anyway, like one of the first things he said is like traditionally anyway that would be a real hot hotbed of Welsh rugby. You know, mm. um, like I would have played for the underage teams there when I was younger as well, and just there's no shortage of talent coming through yeah. traditionally through the years. Like there's so many people playing rugby there and um, well coached at underage systems and all this. So. You know, there's loads of talent down there and um, I'm sure there will be for many years. So he's excited about that, um, the potential to, um, I suppose, have a, a similar kind of setup to Leinster in terms of um, all the young players coming through academy, local homegrown players that um, are going to buy into things massively, you know. Um, so that's, that's something that he's excited about um, from speaking to him. There's loads of young guys there who, um, with the right coaching, have the potential to uh, step up in the next few years and, um, yeah, I suppose be a big part of their local club. So that would be good. And in terms, let's just switch back to, to maybe you for a little bit. Um, you know, so like you get this feedback from from Andy Farrell about, you know, maybe some areas to improve in your game to help you get in the team. Do you kind of, you know, I know some people have, you'd have a great relationship with the, you know, with Leo and I'm sure Stuart seems to be very instrumental with, with lots of the, the guys in, in the setup and, you know, very involved and in helping them get better. Do you kind of communicate that with them and say, listen, you know, what do you think? Or, you know, you know, can you have, have you a few drills or anything like that that can maybe help me out with this or, or help me improve on these things? Do you have that line of communication with the Leinster guys to, I suppose, help you get back in the Irish team? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, kind of the stuff that me and like Def Faz would have relayed to me and um, the feedback was kind of along the same lines of what I was already thinking myself in my own game. So I suppose like as disappointing as that it is not to be in the squad, at least it reinforces, you know, your own beliefs and um, where you think you need to improve. And I suppose that's like double the reason to go after those areas. Um, you know, not only do you feel it yourself, also the coach is telling you the same thing. And then, um, in fairness to Leo and Stuart, they're both very good at like when when something like that happens, like I don't know, you come back from um, a Six Nations, a World Cup, or you don't you don't make the cut. They're uh, straight away looking to to meet up and um, I suppose see where your head's at, um, see see what the plan is over the next uh, period, whatever that may be, and coming up with a plan on how to work on that. So. Uh, met with both Leo and Stuart and um, got some brilliant sort of feedback and ideas from them as well. And I think a lot of it was aligned with um, the conversation I already had. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great to have that, uh, just the opportunity to go in and talk to them and 
uh, at the end of the day, they're the people that I've been working with the last uh, three weeks since found that news, and then also uh, over the next block of three games. So um, to have them all, all understanding where you're at and uh, what you're going after, what you want to work on, and uh, supporting you in that sense is is huge, you know. Yeah, I mean, what were the areas that you identified yourself? Because you seemed to, to, on the service to be playing, you know, really good yeah, rugby. But like, so I'm interested. We both had your pick. Like. Yeah, so I'm interested that you you kind of thought that oh, I have a, a few areas. Like, what what do you what did you think that you needed to work on? Because you seem to be in your best form. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just felt like over the the, the most recent games, um, just felt like I'd maybe been working really hard, getting through a lot of work, which um, doesn't tend to that's tends to be kind of a, a staple in my game. I get through a lot of work and um, maybe put out big numbers in terms of carries and tackles, but I just felt like I was maybe a little bit less effective. So uh, collision winning both sides of the ball, um, not just making a number of tackles, but how effective I can be, uh, the physicality I can bring, and then the same on the other side of the ball, really, in terms of winning meters after contact and leg drive and just, I suppose, not just getting a number of carries but how effective I can be on each one so um, I suppose that's those are the main two areas that I would have targeted and um, then speaking to the coaches and working on like you say there's little drills you can do and little I suppose even just having a focus area like what am I going to do in training this week like one or two things either side of the ball and then just naturally then that if you if you do it all week in training, it tends to come into your game on the weekend. So, um, looking forward, as I said, to getting out on Saturday and hopefully putting in place the things I've been working on the last couple of weeks. And Reese, look, you've just grown up in a in a rugby family, so you just I mean you just have to have you'd have to have an understanding of the game. Otherwise, I'd be very worried about you, uh, to be <laughs> honest, right? No, but just in terms of these kind of moments in the game, right? Because I always feel like yes, that, that I would completely agree with you. You know, oftentimes very underappreciated in terms of the amount of work you get through, right? But you're talking about making the kind of big impacts, and there's certainly no doubt, given the athletes are, you can have those moments. What do you, to your mind, is it like, is it trying to find yourself in better positions? Is it like working on your footwork or like, how do you go about kind of making yourself better? I'm always interested to hear how players, like what they think about trying to make bigger impacts or like, what, what is it? Do you need to find yourself in better positions? And how do you go about doing that? Are you thinking about your game? Are you talking to Stuart about, look, do I need, you know, where should I be here? Are you talking to Leo about like, how do you get better at those things uh, rather than say, obviously you can work on the drills, but what kind of technically do you think about to try and get yourself better yeah i think um in terms of like defensively like a, a couple of little things would be um like i just found like maybe sometimes just uh, not trying to necessarily defend like you're in a system at the end of the day you've got people either side of you um not trying to cover say three defenders and therefore not being committed to the tackle mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So like kind of overdoing it, trusting the guys around you. Okay. the people around you, committing to it and therefore being 100% into a tackle and being mm-hmm. more effective. And then on attacking side, just I suppose being more dynamic. So like moving on to the ball. My body height is a big one. Uh, okay. When I'm playing well and carrying well, I tend to be running a little bit lower to the ground and not, uh, yeah, yeah, just a bit more effective in that sense. So just concentrating on moving on to the ball, the being a bit more dynamic in those first couple of steps and then uh, body height and also footwork, I think, is a big one for for me when I'm 
carrying the ball well. I tend to have that footwork before contact. And uh, when I'm less effective, I tend to be a bit more just straight up and down. So mm-hmm. just keeping a combination of those three things depending on the situation and how much time you have on the ball and all those things. So, um, you know, it's not like nothing, not big things. It's just little things that you can uh, make sure if I'm doing them every single time, if I'm thinking about them and adding them to my training, adding them to my game, then I think it, consistently it'll have a, a big effect on the weekend. Mm. And I, I don't mean to bring the mood down too much, but just a, a quick question. Yeah, as if you haven't already. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's right. Look, I think it is. It's How so interesting. It's so interesting to hear, I think. And I, oh, but look, I love hearing about it. And I think people who are into their rugby, who people who listen to the pod are generally into their rugby. Um, it's just really interesting to hear, I think, how a, play, like a person goes about the day job and how they think about getting better all the time. Because like for us, like you know, like I think everyone knows my view around the, the, the selection. I was unbelievably surprised you weren't included um, so it's interesting to hear how you kind of how people rebound and what they do to keep positive because that's what you need to do in these scenarios you need to figure out things that make you you know you say okay well look I can't just go down the dumps here I need to figure out how I get better how I get back in the team so that was what it is we're not trying to bring the mood down it's just interesting Probably. to pick your brain my man well I was going to yeah, absolutely sorry I was going to say absolutely. it might get a little more depressing before it gets a little more uplifting <laughs> Jesus, <'cause laughs> I was just going to ask maybe quickly you know obviously it's been a couple of months now but when you think back to that the Japan experience as a whole you were kind of pushing to get into the team and you were in and around the squad and the team didn't do as well as they, as they would have liked, obviously. like When you look back on the whole experience now, is it just one you'd like to forget? How do you look at it? Um, oh, like it, it, there was obviously huge elements to it which were hugely disappointing and um, you know, a little bit of a slump maybe after that, personally, just because it was, you know, you invest so much of your energy like your a lot of your goals are based around uh, that one tournament and that one period of time for me making the squad um and then when you finally you know get the news that I was in it obviously it was pretty pretty tight for me whether I'd make the squad or not and then getting into the squad it was to try and perform on the world stage was like uh, an opportunity that you know was something I was really excited about and um, I really, really wanted to take those opportunities every every time I got on the field. So, um, you know, I look back at it and I think I didn't, maybe personal level, I didn't get maybe as, as much uh, game time as I would have liked to or seen in my own head. Um, but then I look back and I think of the game time I got, there were some aspects of my performances which I was hugely happy with. And like I said, it's a chance to perform on the world stage. And I felt like I played some some of my best rugby in, in, in some of those games. So um, those are positive aspects on a personal level. And then um, it was an absolutely great experience with a great group of people. Um, I'm sure one that I will always remember um, the moments on and off the field um, in, a, in an amazing country. Like it, it really was special and to be involved in the World Cup. But then at the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is we, uh, we underperformed and we, we didn't get what we wanted at the end of it. So massive disappointments but I suppose it is a learning curve and uh, I'm 29 so hopefully a few more years left in me and um, an opportunity to take learnings from them in in, in the harshest kind of environment on the biggest stage um, you know the disappointment from there to be able to learn from it and bring it into your career in the future is um, I suppose another positive to come out of it. So yeah, there's look, there's some really disappointing things looking back at it, but I'll definitely remember some positives from that. 
Yeah, because it's interesting you mentioned there that you said there was maybe a little bit of a slump personally afterwards in terms of just being disappointed because I guess unlike other tournaments if you lose, it's generally like the following season, like say the Champions Cup final, you lose the Saracens, you can come back again. The World Cup being every four years, uh, it mo- is that does that make it more devastating in the aftermath immediately? Like you, you can't, it's hard to park because you know it's just such a long way to wait to be able to go back and rectify it. Yeah, 100%. And like at the end of the day, um, it's such obviously it's only a, a few months in in one season and it's every four years like you say so the chance of you um even being fit at that stage you know in in a game like rugby is there's there's a chance that you won't be fit there's a chance that i don't know four years is a long time a lot can change so to have that opportunity to be there and have a crack at it um and not get everything that you wanted out of it is is hugely disappointing um it's a long time to wait like you say to move to more upbeat matters, you did get to work alongside your brother Kieran as well in the setup, and there was like a great moment, I guess, that broke the tension during the tournament when you and Kieran were both out, you know, for the media at the same time. You know, it's such a great story. Like, how enjoyable was it to kind of be working with your brother in the squad? Oh yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, like, obviously, Luke, he knows my brother, and um, he's such a great guy to work with in terms of like his attitude and. Um, his skill set that he brings now as a coach and a strength and conditioning coach to the environment. So uh, I was like, on a personal level, I was just so proud and happy that he was involved. And um, also to be able to have a family member, someone you're really close to out there when you're away from home, away from loved ones and family was awesome as well, just to have him there um, to share the experience with was class. But also I was just, yeah, so proud of him. Uh, He did a great job and... um, to, to work with him like last time I worked with him in, in in any sort of environment like that was under 20 World Cup uh, out in Japan or it would have been 10 years previous so uh, we were playing together at that stage and it was amazing but uh, not quite the same not taking the field together but uh, to experience everything with him over there was was uh, yeah I'll always remember that it was brilliant and Reese, not many people will know that you've kind of, you know, on, on the off-field side, um, you know, I suppose you've kind of helped further your, yourself or you've, I suppose, maybe delved a little bit into maybe working alongside Kieran in his, in his gym. Um, have you kind of further, have you, I know that you were kind of been doing a few sessions here and there and you'd kind of done a bit of the learning and that. Have you furthered that anymore? Have you had any, any more thoughts around whether you'd like to, because obviously preparing for, for, you know, life after rugby is so important. Have you done any thought on that or any more, uh, working it yeah well like i i kind of did a year where i was um spending some time studying a little bit of strength and conditioning stuff and doing work experience with kieran in the gym once a week and uh obviously really lucky to have the, my brother involved there so i could um get access in there and uh, have a have a place to go every week to to uh, learn and sort of gauge whether it would be something i'd be interested in so i've kind of parked that for the meantime um it was a big commitment, uh, coaching in there at, at once a week for four hours a night or whatever it was. So um, I think I got a load out of it and it was great learning. But um, I'm hoping to um, continue on a, a business course I started instead. So we'll see uh, what comes of that down the line. But 
I might, you uh, might another, see me along the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'd, uh, we'd, we'd Fergie in with us in, in AIB. He is uh, seemed to be doing loads of work around preparing himself. So, uh, yeah, no, look, it'd be, uh, it's an interesting, it's good to, to work the mind as well because, I mean, it's such an insular thing. We've talked about loads of things there, like, you know, the World Cup, you know, that's really, you know, it's, it's pretty much five months of preparation to go on that thing and you're in a small community, you're working hard on, on you know, getting yourself better and better condition and working on the rugby. But it is yeah. nice to have something outside it, I think, isn't it? Yeah, well, those, especially, like you say, those periods of time and Six Nations and these things where you're away from home, it can be quite all-consuming in terms of you're away from, you know, your normal life, home home life, family, friends, all this stuff, um, and you're completely um, consumed by the task at hand in, to, in, in, in your job and playing rugby. So um, to have something else to, to focus the mind on can be, uh, positive and I, I'm probably not the best example to be honest uh, some of the other lads in, in, the, in the squad are uh, a lot further down the track than me uh, some of yeah, the young lads a bit of time left I can't believe you're 29 man you're just you're never you're, the man child just keeps going he just keeps on <laughs> keeping on <laughs> um, and listen talk to us a little bit about some of the guys coming back in from Irish camp this week I think there's some interesting you know I mean uh, we have Ronan Keller coming back in who I just think has been a trailblazer obviously himself and Sean Cronin uh, you know James Tracy fighting very hard obviously the Burno as well um, you know there's a real competition for that hooker slot there but he seems to maybe be a Knows ahead at this point. I know he's been injured for a few weeks, but he's coming back in from Irish camp. Uh, we've Deegan coming back in from Irish camp. I mean, what do you make of those two young guys and, and and I suppose the journey they're on? I mean, Deegan obviously is in a closer position to you. You might be able to comment as much on it, but I mean, they look like very exciting uh, guys to watch, and um, I think both will have a you know a, a certainly some kind of part to play over the next ten or fifteen years in in, in Irish camps and Irish teams. Yeah, hundred percent. I probably could comment on Deegan more because I know more about. The back row oh, play. Don't put him up too much, man. man. He's going to be your competition. Look, they're both, uh, you know, obviously had huge starts this season, been playing class um, and deservedly in the squad and playing really well. So um, Ronan, obviously, more so this year, has really um, made his mark and got a lot of opportunity in taking it. Um, and getting rewarded with his opportunity in the Irish squad. And then Max, in fairness, has been playing class uh, for, for a number of years, really, for Leinster. When he's had the opportunity, he's been brilliant. He's such a talented player, such a good footballer. And I think he's year on year been adding to his game. Um, he's he's a he's a real all-rounder now. So, um, you know, he's, he's only going to get better as well. He's still so young, you forget. And then even, like, Caelan Doris, I know... Um, He's another young young player who's uh, been, you know, the last few years he's been brilliant, but this year especially he's really um, taken his performance to another level and obviously amazing for him to be involved and also so disappointing for him to pick up the knock in the way he did, but, you know, he'll bounce back and I'm sure he'll get another opportunity in this tournament and uh, show everyone why he's, why he's there. And, and how do you deal with uh, you know some of the up-and-comers there who you're competing with? I remember in the back row, we'd like, the likes of uh, Shane Jennings and Sean O'Brien dealt with some of the younger lads a little bit different. <laughs> Are you in there kind of yeah. throwing your weight around and, uh, and and kind of the old war, war kind of war-torn uh, fella in the squad these days beating up the younger lads? Or uh, how do you... Or like, what's, what's the relationship like there? Well, I'm not doing a, a Geno or a Shawnee on it and giving lads digs, no, threatening them. But, uh, yeah. no. Well, you have to be uh, captain, no, I suppose, sometimes. So you have to have some kind of relationship with the lads next year, I suppose. Yeah, well, like, it's, 
I suppose it's just it doesn't matter the the age or whatever. The yeah. if they're playing well, you've got to respect that, and uh, you just got I suppose focus on yourself and yeah. um, try and try and improve your levels of performance. But I think like we're all very different players. Like Kalen's a uh, completely different player to Max. Um, I'd be completely different to the two of them. So there's no. Uh, I suppose it's just about looking at your own yourself and trying to see what what's the best version of myself that I can um, put it put myself forward and uh, get back in the team sheet and playing my best rugby. So that's what I'm trying to focus on. Honestly, d- delighted for the, the the young lads who had the opportunity. I think thoroughly deserved. Mm, yeah, I just have. Need two questions, Reese, before we let you go. Thanks very much again for, for joining us. The first one is a kind of a really one of Irish rugby's greatest cliches that I actually want to put to you and see how true it is. Does Reese Ruddock really love playing against French teams? Is that true? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I think I love I love playing over in France as well um, against French teams. I just think, you know, like uh, the the atmosphere. That's usually generated over in France playing against a French team. It's like a cauldron, and uh, also just the physicality and the intensity that they bring. Um, we're both shaking our heads. Luke's, saying, yes, yeah, Luke's yeah. nodding along here. <laughs> so are you. Unbeknownst <laughs> yourself, yeah, we're just saying you just love like you always seem to play. I think your best rugby in uh, against the huge French packs. It always seems to bring out the best in you. I think. Yeah. Cheers. No, I, I definitely, I definitely enjoy it anyway, and. Um, I get that excitement and um, I suppose anticipation of a of a physical battle, which uh, I like to think yeah that brings out the best in me. And uh, I think those physical games and playing against bigger packs and competing against them is something that I tend to enjoy anyway. So um, yeah, uh, so far I've I've really enjoyed playing against French teams, whether it be like Toulouse or Toulon. Um, Claremont away these type of games I've absolutely loved it so hopefully we get a couple more of them down the years now and my last question I guess to finish on a more positive note after depressing you with some of our questions <laughs> over the course <laughs> of the year right. <laughs> is uh, I guess Luke mentioned it earlier like you know you have been around a while but you know you're only 29 but just looking at some of the numbers like you know you've played 195 matches between Ireland and Leinster you know you made your Leinster debut over 10 years ago you played for Ireland almost 10 years ago like you've been on the road a, a long time as well like Overall, when you look at the, over the course of the last ten years of your career, like h- how happy are you with uh, how you've done? Like, do you feel like you've gotten everything you've wanted out of it thus far? Do you look back and think there's still a lot more you have left to give? How how you how do you assess it? Yeah, um, like ups and downs. I think there's been huge highs and huge lows, but I think every career is the same, and a lot of them come down to injury and timings of injuries that you could be playing your best rugby one. You know, up until very often I've picked up bad injuries in December where uh, in playing in Europe and they've put me out till kind of the end of the season where I'm, you know, not able to force my way back into the team. So I think those lows have been bad where I've been playing my best rugby, absolutely everything going right for you. And then around December time, you pick up an injury that pretty much writes off your season. So um, a lot of lows like that that have kind of maybe hampered my. Um, progress but then I think that's part and parcel of the game and then some massive highs and um, obviously things like uh, captain in Leinster and captain in Ireland as well um, playing in two World Cups um, playing in Six Nations all these things like um, captain in Ireland on tours and uh, lots of special moments so um, 
yeah, loads of loads of positives and things that I'm really proud of, and I'm sure I will be when I retire. But I still feel there's loads more in me, and um, don't feel like I've put. Man, you're 29. Yeah. There's loads left in you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it's just been more, just such an old. Just <laughs> an unbelievable start to your hopefully. career. Yeah. Here, listen. Yeah. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. I know you're in the middle of getting uh, the, a rub down from the great Mike Carswell there to get you limber for the weekend. We wish you all the best making the uh, I suppose the comeback trail we'll call it. Uh, and look, you never know. You might end up in that Six Nations squad, uh, particularly if you get back to that form you showed um, in the World Cup and just at the start of the season. Will end. So best of luck with that. Thanks a million for coming on, Reese. Okay. Thanks very much. Cheers, Reese. Cheers, Rhodes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing in association with Land Rover. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening. And goodbye. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Land Rover. Whether you're headed to a match or a weekend away, there's plenty of space for your team and their gear in the new Discovery Sport.